Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host. She is more powerful than... Wait for it. Wait for it. It's still early, guys. I'm thinking this through. Then Ahsoka fighting a death trooper. It's Lindsay. You know, I really can't help but feel like sometimes we set realistic expectations <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> Man, how cool would that fight scene be, though? Oh, I can't even imagine it. I mean, you could do it now. I'm just saying. You're kind of intimidating. <laughs> I actually do have quite a few good stories from some sparring rounds yesterday that I didn't know were going to happen. It started off as some uh, some friendly sparring with one of the coaches and just a few light jabs. And about two rounds into it, felt like an all-out street fight. <laughs> so <laughs> it could happen at this point. You never know. You never know. And along with us for this adventure is a, a man who has really brought a lot to the Star Wars fandom, especially uh, recently. We have the honor of speaking with Mr. Kevin Scott. Hello there. Um, I'm now imagining Ahsoka fighting Death Troopers. Um, many of them. So, you know, that's that's a little note I've just made. I mean, hey, you have the power. Make it happen. That's all I'm saying. Well, I, I, I have some... I don't know if I have the power to actually just walk in and say, hey, we're going to do this now. <laughs> but um, I'm going to have a go. You know, you, you never know until you try. Exactly. That's 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 my like perspective. you need to just sneak it into something else and see if they say no or sneak not. In Ahsoka. <laughs> in Ahsoka never happened. So I'm just going to sneak in Ahsoka to this. There is a, a Dave Filoni shaped um, monster coming at me as soon as I try and do that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. But uh, yeah, I will. I will do my best. In the next meeting, I will. I will wave that flag. Oh, you're too good to us. Mm. Oh man! No, so, I think I think it's too good for the universe because we all need to see that scene. To be honest, I mean Brandon, anything I with more Ahsoka. To, I think you and I, Brandon, need to come up with some other little uh, little head cannons that we want to sneak, I, see if we can get in. Right? I mean, I have ideas, Lucasfilm. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, uh, half of what I do is just is trying to turn all my head cannon into into cannons. So that's that's pretty much my job. So um, you know, why not sneak some more in? I mean, absolutely. If you if you can do it, you might as well do it, right? Okay, wait. Then I have to ask. I I got to jump in and just Mm. throw this question out nice and early. I feel like it's something we probably should work our way up to. But now that you brought it up, I have to ask: if you could bring any head cannon into the new cannon, what would it be? Well, see, the trouble can't say a stoke of fighting death troopers. (laughs) It'll be Ahsoka. No, um, the trouble is, if I say that, it won't be a surprise, will it, when it happens? I mean, Um, but there's lots of, there's lots of things I want to do, but I I really do struggle questions like that because, uh, you know, as I say, there is, 
there's quite a lot of my headcanon going into a, a certain project that I'm working on at the minute. Um, but I really can't say anything about that. But um, yeah, it's difficult because obviously everything you, you want to talk about, you also, there's part of you that wants to hold back because you want to um, surprise people with it. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff. I mean, I'd love to write some... Um, I have certain headcanon theories that carry on from Solo um, that I would love to see um, brought in in some kind of storytelling. Um, so I don't want to get in too much into it, but um, I became a little bit obsessed with Kira and, the, in, and her entire character and her entire arc and her part in the sort of scoundrel side of Star Wars, which I'm always fascinated with, um, and, and sort of the gang wars and that kind of thing. So they, uh, there's quite a lot there that I'd like to play out if I ever get the chance. What is it about Kira in particular that, I mean, because that movie has a lot of stuff that can go off and do different mm. things, right? So what is it about Kira's uh, character in particular that hooked you? So much about my Star Wars experience these days is linked to my daughters, and they get fed up of me mentioning them in interviews. But um, I see a lot of Star Wars through their eyes, and she really, um, she really pinged with them. They, you know, they they really, really identified with her, um, which is slightly worrying since she's got such that <laughs> such past. Um, but they they loved her, and there were so many questions. And I think it was that thing of. Um, so much in Star Wars about secrets and keeping secrets and the dangers of keeping secrets and what goes wrong when you keep secrets. Um, we see that time and time and time again in the saga. And it's an element that I'm fascinated by. Um, you know, it's, it would so many stories would just stop if people talk to each other. Um, but, <laughs> it's like the you know, problem in fiction in general. Just communicate exactly. people. Exactly. It's my it's my one problem with um well I've got quite a few problems with Lost, but when I was watching it, it was just like they get to that point and go, no, I'm not going to tell you that. Just tell them what what you're trying to tell them because that's what people would do. Um, but with Kira as well, she's got so many secrets she's holding from everyone uh, in that film, um, including probably herself. Um, so I'd love to explore some of that. And of course, obviously the the ending just so, throws up. Darth Maul is one of my favorite characters and always has been and. I'm very excited to be writing him in, in something I'm writing at the minute. And and I would love to delve more into into that sort of relationship and how that came about. Um, and I just think she's a very interesting character because she's quite unique in, in what we've seen so far in canon. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's so much to unpack there. Um, so I'd love to, um, to explore that a bit more. Yeah, the, the whole solo thing like i said it, it has a lot that you can go off in so many directions and it's a very star wars film in that like mm. it doesn't provide you all the answers you know and, and it doesn't yeah. try it doesn't talk down to the audience which you know considering you know the the audience is is kids you know according to george lucas yeah. a lot of movies do that right and, and i see it because because yeah. i'm a i'm a teacher and so uh you know when i'm working with my students uh, of course, I use Star Wars, and seeing them like connect with that what is is super powerful. You know, you mentioned like seeing it through your daughter's eyes. I I get the chance every year to see it through you know my students' eyes. So you you write things like you know adventures in wild space and things in, like that mm. that has to be fun and engaging and and hook kids who maybe yeah. don't have any background in Star Wars, but also not talk down to them. So how do you go about striking that balance of like writing a compelling story that's fun for kids, but doesn't talk down to them? Well, I think, I mean, that's the, 
the watchword you just got to keep in your mind at all times you know and i remember and, and also I, try, I look back and remember some of the stuff that i grew up reading and watching um including star wars because as you said you know george lucas has always maintained that it's a film for 12, the 12 year old in all of us and yeah it, it doesn't doesn't pull its punches i think that's half the time i think we worry we wrap our children in cotton wool um in a lot of ways and i do it as a parent as well I, i'm totally guilty of it but we do it in fiction and we worry sometimes that things get too dark for kids or things get too complex for kids but i think kids understand far more in fiction than we give them credit for um they understand shades of gray because they they exist in that world as well yeah kids do see things in black and white but they very soon realize as they start to experience things that it's not always that ca the case and also they need to know it's not always that not always the case so i think it's there's a job in fiction for kids to explore some of those themes because it prepares them um as all fiction good fiction prepares people for the real world um so yeah i i think sometimes we pull back too much sometimes we we think oh they won't be able to cope with that and we forget that kids actually like horror <laughs> kids like <laughs> danger kids like um excitement and and evil and things in happening stories because it's happening in a story therefore it's not actually happening to them yeah um and so they can see it and they can experience and again they can learn how to deal with hopefully most kids won't be in the kind of situations we we write about for things like star wars um but they they, through um, experiences, learn a, bit, a little bit about themselves, just as we learn as adults things about ourselves when we, we watch films, read comics, read books. Um, so I think it's always that. You, you, don't, you have to be careful. You have to be age-appropriate, especially, again, when you're dealing with some sort of more horrific uh, elements. You can't go heavy on gore, but, you know, sometimes that's not the best horror anyway. You can't go heavy on violence, but, again, same thing. You don't always have to see the violence to, for it to be effective um and i yeah i do use the star wars original trilogy as a watchword of how far you can go in in a lot of these things and recently again staying with star wars um i've been working on a series of books set in the warhammer universe the games workshop universe um again for kids it was because i've been working on star wars kids books they came to me and said this is something they want to to look at um and i kept using in, in meetings with people who've never worked in kids fiction before tell them to go and watch rebels because rebels is such a good example of how far you can go and how far you can develop and how far you can take things and again we had lots of conversations about how dark you could get in some of the stories and forgetting you know that most kids have heard fairy tales by the time they're at preschool you know with some of the darkest material you will ever see in fiction um I always refer back to the um, episode where the Inquisitor beheads um, an imperial, a imperial officer. You don't see it, but you know what's going on, and kids know what's going on, and they get what the, the situation. But it's done in such a way that it's not too scary for them, but they realize the peril that, that the characters are now in. Um, and villains are allowed to be villains. Villains are allowed to be bad. Um, but within certain restraints that make it appropriate. And I think that's what we always look at in, in any of the Star Wars or middle grade um, fiction um, and and all age. And that's the thing we we always keep saying, things like Star Wars Adventures. Um, and a lot of the middle grade books that you see coming out of Lucasfilm Press, 
they're all ages that you know they're not just for kids you're you're supposed to be able to pick them up and read them um as an adult and enjoy them to a certain level again there might be a, not a complexity there that you would expect to see in you know so-called adult fiction but it has to try and appeal in the same way that star wars appeals to the 12 year old in all of us and also you can see different levels um it's supposed to appeal to all ages. And so, yeah, we're, we're very careful with, with Star Wars Adventures, especially that it is a all age book rather than a kid's book. Um, yeah. So um, we always try and keep that in mind. And when new people come into um, the, the comic, because it's an anthology comic, so you have lots of different writers on it, lots of create different creatives. And especially with the Halloween um, specials that I, I'm involved with every year now, um, yeah, we keep saying, you know, this isn't this isn't a kid's book per se. This is an all-ages book. So it should be, everyone should be able to pick them up and enjoy them. So you've got to bear that in mind, that you couldn't have something that you would have in an R-rated comic. Um, but at the same point, you know, adults have to be able to pick up those comics and get something from them as well. Um, so we, we always keep that in mind. That's a lot of responsibility to take on. I know my own personal experience, I was nine years old when I started reading Star Wars books for the first time. So I really relate to what you're saying in terms of kids can take on more than we usually give them credit for. And they can understand things that we normally don't even want them to understand. Um, for me, though, I was always so drawn in by the heroes of the story and the Jedi. Yeah. What do you find is harder for you to toe the balance for when writing for kids, but still appealing to the larger audience? Because you you really have found that line. It's incredible. But would you say it's harder to write for villains or write for heroes when you're taking on that responsibility? Oh, it's a really good question. I'm really and in, interesting at the minute because the the second Vader's Castle series I'm doing is focusing on villains. Um, so we made the choice that the first one was largely focusing on heroes. This one it focuses on villains and some of the you know worst villains in the saga. Um, so you do have to be careful. I think it's Jedi are really easy to pitch for different ages because they're very they're core they're swashbucklers you know and they can do amazing things and they've got superpowers and you know and they can wow. Um, and then you can lay layer on complexity um, with them because they they're all, they've all got so much going on in their heads um, because of their very nature of being part of an order. Um, and that's why I, I think so brilliant about the Jedi is that they have guilt and things built into their character base because of what they are because they're based on a religious order and most religious orders um, have a certain amount of guilt or, or honor or. Um, or demands on them so you can automatically build up a, a complexity there um which again kids understand because they understand rules and regulations because they are given them you know largely from a from a young age with villains again you have to i think the responsibility with villains is showing why people are villainous um and you can i think you can in kids fiction obviously have black and white villains you can just have people who are just pure evil um i think you can prod that a little bit in kids fiction and you should have a little bit so we we understand somewhat of why these villains have become villainous um but i think perhaps you don't go into a full-blown um character um examination of, of why you know why darth vader is how he is um i, I think that comes and, and obviously we have the films for that as well um but so i think you can 
you can go too far with villains in that can, that case because then I think it does get confusing for younger kids. But uh, again, depending on what age you're aiming them at, the last thing you really want in anything is sort of like moustache twirling villains who are just evil because they're evil. Um, and there is a lot of that in kids' fiction, but it's not the kind of fiction that I would like to write. Um, but I think you just have to be, that's where your responsibility comes in. I think, and also I don't think you glorify the villainy. Um, which again, I think is something that we need to look at in all of Star Wars. You know, there's there's an element in Rogue One where Vader, you know, kicks ass at the end, and we all go, "How cool is that?" And then you think about what's just happened, and you know, and I think you have to you have to realise how far you're glorifying the the villains in all of this because villains can be cooler because they can do the things that we can't, we wouldn't necessarily allow ourselves to do, but it has to have a consequence, and so I think that's probably where all of this comes back to. Even in kids' fiction, especially in kids' fiction, you have to show the consequence of the action. You have to show um, that if someone's being villainous, there is a consequence to everyone involved. And so, um, and Star Wars has always been very, very good at that, um, especially in the films, you know. And and so, yeah, I think that's that's the responsibility that I feel is to sort of if you're going to show villainy, and you should show villainy, and villainy is exciting, and villainy is important for the story, but you need to explore a little bit of why the villain is there, and also the consequence of of, of that it causes. So, I mean, that obviously leads to Dooku, but I want to circle back around to something mm. you mentioned there because you just low key breezed over uh, Return to Vader's Castle coming out around Halloween. Mm. So, yeah, that's definitely that series is definitely you know more on the horror side of things. Not, yes. Again, like the the kids side of horror, which which you pointed out, they they absolutely do love. So, yeah. what can you tell us about about the one that's coming out and, and kind of what it is about the Vader's Castle line that is appealing for you to be a part of sure um so for people who don't know we um last year we we brought out tales from vader castle which was a sort of a weekly event um leading up to halloween it's that wonderful thing there's five weeks in october usually or that you know if the calendar works out so every wednesday there would be a comic and last year it was all the stars aligned and the last wednesday of the month was halloween so um we did a, a series of comics so um starting with week one of october through to Halloween and every week includes a story, um, a sort of an EC, um, EC horror st comic story in the Star Wars universe. Um, it would have a, it was a framing device around it. So these were stories that were being told. So you get the idea. These are the horror stories that are told around the campfires, um, the universe over um, in, in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, we're returning to it this year. Same, same thing every week, new issue. Um, again, there's a, a new, um, framing story for it and in each issue there is a story about you know, a horror story um in one of the it's focused on one of the villains so in this series we have who do we have we have darth maul who i've already mentioned in his in spider maul incarnation where he's mad and and has big spider legs which is always the coolest maul in my mind um we have a story based on tarkin in which we turn him into frankenstein because let's face it peter cushion um we have a story with ventress we have a story with um, Jabba the Hutt, and we have a story with Vader himself. Um, and they all sort of look at the sort of your traditional um, 
traditional Halloween type spooky stories. You know, there's a, I say there's a Frankenstein story in this series. There's ghost stories that we had a vampire story in the first series when we turned Count Dooku into a, a drac into Dracula basically because Christopher Lee. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's sort of the, it's the Star Wars twist on those sort of very classic um, horror stories that go all the way back to universal horror and be and beyond. Um, I'm a massive universal horror fan. I'm a big hammer horror fan. Um, so to do those kind of stories that, yeah, hopefully will become a Halloween tradition um, of getting the old books out the um, uh, 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 the bookshelf, seeing the new books coming. Um, and yeah, in that sort of lot of goosebumps kind of scares for kids. Um, and I know that a lot of adults have um, identified with it as well. So that's great. Oh, for sure. And I know, I mean, just listening to that, one thing I am really amped for is any kind of story that you are going to tell with Ventress, just because mm -hmm. obviously with Dooku, you absolutely crushed it. Um, I really love Ventress, especially from Dark Disciple. And yeah. I felt like this was the perfect way to show more of her character and how we get who she is in Clone Wars, in, Di in Dark Disciples. Yeah. Um, so just walk us through, though, with Dooku. What was it like having these already established characters and just a totally different medium? Was it more freeing? Were you able to do more with them? Or was it a little bit more limiting? No, it was very freeing. And the good thing about Dooku from a writing point of view is that we barely know anything about him. Um, and so, and I didn't, I'd not really twigged how little we knew until I started to sit down and, and think about it. You know, we, you know, it, especially in new canon and there's not that much in the old expanded universe really as well that, you know, to actually see him in place, um, as a Jedi, which was always the main thrust of Jedi lost that we'd actually see him, um, as being a, you know, a, a, a very devout, very, um, committed Jedi, um, and see, you know, the things that led to him to make that decision, which would have been difficult for him to walk away. Um, so with Dooku, it was incredibly freeing because actually I realized how, what a blank canvas he actually was. Um, with Ventress, there's more there, you know, um, Ventress, one of my favorite characters from the Clone Wars, um, especially as you get to the end of the series or the then end of the series. Um, and you see, um, how she's developed, um, and, and Dark Disciple as well. One of the reasons she's in Tales from Vader's Castle though, oh, sorry, Return to Vader's Castle is that there was a bit of a, we didn't know whether that issue was going to be a Ventress. I was campaigning for it to be a Ventress issue from the off. Um, and there was discussion of perhaps we should make it sing. Um, and I was like, no, I want to write Ventress because I want to write her in a good place because I write Ventress in a very bad place throughout Jedi Lost. And it was quite a difficult thing to write. Um, so the Ventress we see in return is Ventress the Bounty Hunter where she is slightly more in control of her destiny than, than she's ever been. Um, and is, is showing the character that we then, you know, come to meet in Dark Disciple. So um, I, I, from a pure, purely selfish reason, I needed to write that Ventress as well, because I, I left her in such a dark place in, um, in Jedi Lost that I needed to sort of like circle around and say, well, hang on, you know, she did have a... Yes, she has a future that has a lot of darkness in it, and perhaps her, you know it's not the happiest of ending. But she has a little bit more restitution than than we see if you just left the story in in, in Jedi Lost. So, um, but yeah, she was she was interesting because it was going back to that point of um, 
how yeah this is the point where she gets broken in into becoming a sith which is always as we've seen with anakin you know it's a it's a dark time and dark things happen um and i knew that actually the story wasn't going to go much beyond that and it would have to she would have to be left in that place um broken so she can rebuild um and yeah, it was it was quite a harsh thing to to write some of those scenes, and we really toyed with you know how far do we show Ventress before she's taken by Dooku, how, you know how strong is she? Because I I remember back to the time of of the expanded universe and the Dark Horse comics um, for um, Republic, which I absolutely adore. Um, I reference a little bit in in Dooku Jedi Lost, where she's a warlord in her own right on her planet on Ratatak. Um, and then you think, well, hang on a minute. Then she would have been absolutely brought down to her knees to be, uh, you know, the apprentice of Dooku. And so we we toyed with some of those scenes. And in fact, there's scenes I writ- I wrote um, of her being in charge on Rat Attack as well, and and, and taking over and her and her killing um, the people that that put her in that situation. But it, again, it didn't seem right because then it brought she'd have to do a complete U-turn again. So and it felt it felt crueler actually, um, to do that with the character. So those scenes exist, but they're in a, an alternate reality now. Um, <laughs> and I also wrote all the scenes with her being taken by Dooku that we don't see in the, in the, you hear about, you hear her talking about Dooku arriving and, and having his wine and having, they have a lightsaber duel and he's still not dro- dropping it, you know, no drop of the wine gets spilt. Um, all those scenes are written because I needed to write them to sort of know where she, where she was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was a she was a it was a difficult because I was very excited when Ventress was sort of involved and I was like brilliant I get to write the character I've loved from the Clone Wars and then realise that oh hang on she isn't quite the character that I've loved from the Clone Wars not yet. Um, <laughs> oh, I hope so, we get to see those scenes somehow, some way. Somehow, maybe. Yeah, yes. that'd be great. Well, what what was more fun for you then? Because it does sound like you really do have this passion for writing characters like Ventress. Mm. Uh, but do you enjoy? taking the already established characters and expanding on what we know and how we know them? Or do you like creating some of these new characters that you have? Um, I think it's, it's both. There's always, if you're going to do something like Star Wars and you're going to write time or licensed fiction connected to Star Wars, there is a joy of being able to play in a sandpit. You know, there's a, the, everyone talks about that and that's a phrase that gets made, you know, time and time again. And a lot of these characters um, I mean, I always joke that my to-do list is the same now as it was when I was 10 years old, you know. So <laughs> I get to play with, you know, I can I get to t- make up adventures with Han Solo and, and Chewbacca, um, just as I was doing as a 10-year-old. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you, you want to be able to get hold of some of these iconic characters and, and take them in a different direction and, and or explain different things about them. Um, that's very exciting. That said, there is a... Um, there's a real pride involved in being given the chance to develop a new part of Star Wars um, and a new corner of Star Wars. And especially at a time where there's not been that many opportunities in the last few years to do that because of the nature of um, canon reestablishing itself um, and and linking into the films, you know, there's been, um, in a way, it's become a a closer um, universe and I think needed to be because it's been bringing in new people. Um, and I think now it's going to be exciting because I think we're going to see more chances to expand and create new um, with with the saga coming to an end uh, at the end of the year. Um, I think we're going to see um, a, a blossoming of new new aspects of Star Wars that's still very much Star Wars. 
um, but but take it in a direction that you you wouldn't necessarily expect. And that's like one of the things that that makes Star Wars so exciting now is just like all of these things happening in all these different mediums is mm. is something that that I've talked about I find really really interesting and even the framing of the fiction now we have books like you know last shot which jump around from time to time yeah. we have a book like phasma where the whole thing is told like third hand so it could all just be made up um yeah and well, unreliable unreliable narrators are fantastic in star wars well yeah um, you know and that, and that's the thing when we were doing things like Vader's castle um we've been able to say that well perhaps People tell horror stories, and they, you know, or, or fairy tales, or legends, and then based on reality. Um, but they get with every telling, they get a little bit more twisted. And so, yeah, the, some of the stories we we are telling in um, Vader's Castle, we're not saying they didn't happen. It's just, but you know, they, they're being seen through the the lens of the person who's telling them, or the person who's heard the story, because you know, some of these could be passed down for generations. And I think that's fun. Um, and what I love about Star Wars, I think there are two two main franchises you can do this with um at the minute actually no there's three i like you can do it with the the longest lasting franchises we have in, in genre uh, at the minute in star wars star trek and doctor who that you have characters that have age now you have um dynasties of families you have history you've got um like again with just swapping galaxies a minute but with star trek you've now got a continuity that goes on for hundreds of years as well in that and you see the development of a of an entire nation and the development of individuals as well and you know growing up um, i was a star wars fan i was also a star trek fan but my star trek was the movies so my fa- my star trek was kirk and spark as old men um or older men and i really even though obviously i was in my early teens I identify with the fact that, hang on, these are characters of history. History I didn't necessarily know because um, I wasn't a big fan of the original of the original series. But again, we've now we've got that with Star Wars as well, you know, because of the very nature of what was set up with the prequels, um, you know, and, and then the back history. And then when you go back to, I mean, some of the stuff we did in Dooku was going back further in canon than we've ever gone, um, which is great because, again, you... When you have that amount of history, it it, it centers it all and it, it it grounds it, and you can do so much with it because, yeah, then you get into the the realm of legends, then you get into the realm of history, um, and and that just gives it so much depth. And I think that's why things like Star Wars and Star Trek and Doctor Who endure now because they've going they've become part of the psyche because they they have that that um, false history, um, you know, that's not real obviously, but it's very real at the same time. Was that a factor in Jedi Lost at all? Because y- you do have Ventress and and you have her master speaking to her, so we get the the idea that that she's not mentally in a, a very good place at the time. Was there anything in Jedi Lost where you were kind of like, "I'm going to present this, and it may be a hundred percent true, or it may have a little bit of a you know certain point of view in it"? Um, I would. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, when you get things like Ventress describing how Dooku found her, um, you know, there's there's that that would have been an incredibly traumatic experience. Um, experience. I mean, I don't want to give away too much for people who haven't listened to Dooku. Um, but even the fact she's listening to her master is is open to um, interpretation because we can we again, we didn't want to set anything too in too much in stone. You know, is it even possible for a Jedi um, force ghost to exist at this point because this is sort of like pre Qui Gon and Yoda studying it. So, 
Um, so yeah, we wanted to, we had lots of conversations about um, Ventress's master. And again, I apologize if anyone, if this is a spoiler about whether she is hearing him or hearing herself, or is it a mixture of both? Um, and we were very careful not to give the answer either. Um, because again, you asked about headcanon. I mean, that's part of my, that's probably part of my headcanon that I've already slipped in, um, that perhaps Qui-Gon wasn't the first one to discover how to um, come back through the Force, because he must have learnt it from somewhere. Um, and we know through the Clone Wars an element of where he learnt it from, but there must have been other Jedi in all the long history of the Jedi. I can't believe that no one else experienced something like it. So, that yeah, that was something that I wanted to explore in, in Jedi Lost as well. Do you think there's any level of Stockholm Syndrome between Asajj and Dooku? Because their relationship yes. is obviously not very healthy. <laughs> yeah, I think in every Sith um, relationship there is a level of Stockholm Syndrome because um, it's a, <laughs> the rule of two means that you know, you've know you got a very intense relationship um, that is never going to end well. <laughs> you know, let's face it, every... <laughs> Every Sith Lord knows what he, he or, or she is doing when they bring on an um, an apprentice because that apprentice has to, by the rule of two, kill them. Um, and they have to also break them a bit to make them a Sith. So, you know, it's not only the Kyber crystals that have to bleed. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's, a, it's not, a, it's not a, a very healthy relationship. So, um, yeah, and, you know, again, it's something I wanted to explore with, you know, and hopefully do with a little bit of respect um, when I was writing it, you know, it's very, it's a very difficult thing to, to write about, but you know, she, she starts and ends, you know, by saying how much she hates the situation she's in, but she's doing it. You know, she has the choice to not do any of the things she's asked. Um, and I think that's part of the Sith thing as well, is that you have to make the choice to do it. You can't necessarily be forced. You can be coerced, you can be hurt, you can be tortured, but you still make the choice to do what you do. When Anakin walks into the temple in episode three, he has a choice of what he can do at that point. Um, mm. And he does probably the worst possible thing. And you know something that I still struggle with the character and how we then are supposed to deal with Vader's redemption um, after everything that we saw Anakin do, but you know he was the he's the one who made that choice, um, and I think that's very much part of it. Um, so yeah, the anything involved in Sith relationship is never good, and there's definitely Stockholm syndrome there. There's definite um, abuse there, um, and it's systematic abuse over generations, which is the pure evil of the, of the dark side, I think, and the pure evil of the Sith. Hmm. And it's cool, too, because you could definitely make the argument that even though it's not as obvious and even though it's not as systematic as you say, mm -hmm. we still have relationships between Jedi that you can argue, is it healthy, is it not? Um, and I mean, sifo we can even dive into him and think, okay, well, mm -hmm. was he really just a victim because maybe he fell in with the wrong master, maybe that wasn't the best for him? Or did that help him? Um, so just with that relationship in mind and everything we see there, tell us what it was like getting to really expand on the Jedi themselves and seeing some of those old healing rituals and creating, um, you know, the Lost 13 and things like that. Sure. I mean, for me, the Jedi are problematic. I love the Jedi. Um, and But like all organized religions, which let's face it, that's what they are. Um, 
there are issues of dogma and issues of um, pushing stuff under the carpet and, and all those kind of things that we can explore in the Jedi. Um, and yes, Sifo, Sifo was in the original brief, quite a small part of it. It was a, um, I think it was a line to me, he can even meet Sifo Deus. And I was like, that sort of really um, shone out to me because I was like, no, that's the, that's the, um, the relationship I really want to explore because it, again, all that came from an old um, now legends comic where you, you see um, Dooku receiving Sifo's body um, after Sifo has been killed. Um, and I can't off, for the, off the top of my head at this point in the morning, remember which exactly which comic it is, but it's an old dark horse comic. And you see a moment where the body has been sent back to Dooku on Sereno. Um, and he is obviously grief stricken. But um, to see his friend dead in a casket, um, and so it's it's that aspect of wanting to explore um, friendship and how friendship is then goes toxic. Um, so that's how Sifo DS came into the story as a whole. And then the more I was exploring the story, the bigger part he played over and over again. And and let's face it, Jedi Lost is a, is a tragedy. There aren't many people that come out of it well, and it always had to be because of where it was leading to. Um, and so I wanted to lean into that and make their relationship so, you know, strong as I could and knowing where it would go. Um, and yeah, there are, you do have to look at um, his relationship with his master and, you know, and how much she, she used him as well and how much for, you know, but used him for what she thought was the lean thought was a good, you know, the, the right reasons. Um, and, and the damage that did to him, um, he is pretty much a victim from, from the beginning, as soon as his, his abilities start to manifest, um, and he should have been looked after more. Um, and yeah, that's definitely something with the Jedi. I think we can explore more and more is, you know, how, how the, as an organization, they, they, they make bad decisions, which because they stick to the rules and they stick to the dogma. And there's a lot of the council that just go, no, this is the way it always should be. Um, and the one person on the council that really struggles with this, but also in these early years that we see him, um, still falls the same way as Yoda. And then, you know, th there's a reason that the, the greatest Jedi we've seen in the saga all become hermits and they all, um, punish, punish themselves for what they've done. Um, Yoda did it, Obi-Wan did it, and now Luke has done it. Um, and it's all to do with that sort of that guilt I was telling you, uh, I was talking about earlier on. Um, it's the, the explanation, uh, the exploration of, I could have done something different. I should have done something different, but I was living the life that I thought I had to leave. Um, and I think that's sort of part and parcel with the Jedi. Um, and hopefully, you know, as in, in future stories as the Jedi are explored, we can explore that. And also explore, it's very easy for the, to demonize the Jedi in stories and to make them stupid or um, to to say, to, oh, they all did it all wrong. But, you know, the Jedi must have done good as well. Just like Dooku must have done good as a Jedi. Um, the Jedi were there in a very privileged position and they were the protectors. And, you know, we hear about the um, the more civilized age. You know, I'd love to see that more. Um, and to see, you know, to balance the fact, you know, where the Jedi were, they were, you know, before they became what we saw them in, in the, um, in the prequels, because that must've been a glorious time. And just with all, um, I get, I struggle a bit with monocultures in, in, in genre and science fiction. Um, you know, not all Jedi are mis um, uh, uh, 
are misguided. Not all Jedi are secretive. There must have been Jedi out there who are actually very good at being Jedi. Um, and I'd love to see more of them. Yeah, and it's funny because when when you say, you know, some Jedi were just good at being Jedi and they were honorable, you definitely write Dooku as though he was on track to be one of those Jedi and maybe mm. he could have pulled them in a different direction. Uh, so going back to even what you said earlier, where it's so important to show the consequences of mm. of villainy um, and writing the these kind of bad guys, I guess it's also important to show the consequences for the good guys as well when they are misguided and how they can influence other people in the name of righteousness. Yeah, and I think the the thing I keep coming back to with the Jedi, and it was part of my thinking behind Jedi Lost, um, is that Lost and what makes what the loss that's central to a Jedi, because if you think about the ba the basic tenet of the Jedi religion and the Jedi Knights is that they can't have any um, relationships that are, uh, become more important to them than the Force. And I, I can, again, in my own headcanon, I can see how that that doctrine came about, because you know if the if they're supposed to be servants, you know they do, and they're supposed to be led by the Force. They shouldn't put anything in the way of that. So, you know, if if they have to make a choice between something that they love and, you know, the greater good, they should choose the greater good. However, what we see time and time and time again um, is that that basic tenant is then used. Um, it, it becomes it becomes a problem because, again, we have a character in Dooku who could have been the greatest um, Jedi there ever was. Um, had the had an ego the size of a planet, um, and should have been guided more than he, he was. He should also um, been able to maintain the relationships that, that were keeping him in check. Um, and you know, one of those relationships is is Qui Gon. You know, there's the there is the constant discussion of if Qui Gon had lived, would Dooku have done what he did? Because Qui Gon could have been the one person to get through to him. Um, but because of the way that the Jedi Order works, the Jedi has their um, has their apprentice, and the apprentice leaves. And it, it's, it's, it's the story of every parent, everyone that you you raise a child. The child then goes off and has their own life. Um, but within the Jedi, they are completely separated um, in a lot of cases. So it would I was I was always very um, interested in explore when I first watched the prequels and saw those characters. I would have loved to see Qui Gon. And Dooku together, because obviously we we you can see the respect that Dooku had for his his former apprentice, um, and Qui Gon must have had respect for you know he had, he must have had no idea what was going on with Dooku, um, so yeah I think that's very that's very much wrapped up into what happens, um, and re a reason for for Dooku's fall you know it's a, there's a lots of things I think goes go into re Dooku's fall, but one of them is this you know this constant battle that you must then you should must have relationships and then cut yourself away away from them because again that's what the contradiction in the jedi is you must raise a, a padawan to be knighted you must live with that person you should you must train that person you must become one with that person and then that person goes off and does it um you know, on their own after that so that was something i definitely wanted to explore with dooku I mean, there's so much else that I want to explore in that answer, um, just because I think it's so crucial to Star Wars, to storytelling, to mm. Dooku. But what are some of the other things then that you would say led to Dooku's fall? Um, I, 
I do think it's the cutting yourself off from the universe um, while saving, trying to save the universe or protect the universe. Because again, yeah, there's a, there is something a lot of people have said that, you know, the Jedi, why would the Jedi take Dooku back to Sereno um, as part of, um, as part of the festival at the beginning of the play. And I think a lot of that comes from the arrogance of the Jedi. You know, they, they think that their teaching is so right that the Je- that as soon as a youngling comes to the temple, that's it, that's their life. Um, forgetting that, they, you know, these kids might wonder where they came from. Um, and then you sort of fast forward to the sequels and, you know, a sequel trilogy and you go, oh, isn't it awful that Finn was taken as a child and made a stormtrooper? And you go, but that's exactly what the Jedi were doing. Um, and I think there is that central thing that there are some people who need to be grounded and there's some people to, who need to know their roots. And Dooku was obviously someone who needed that. And I think that was um, fundamental in him trying to find a place in how it all works. And then fundamental in the fact that when he became a Jedi, he wanted to be the best Jedi um there could be why just because again he needed to say this is this is who i am this is my place um and i think that's because he was cut adrift from his past and i i think again time and time again in star wars we see that same pattern emerge you know um it's all about if you haven't got the the past that you want you create a you haven't got the family you want you create your your family found family is the constant theme of Star Wars, and, and you see it throughout. You see it in the original trilogy with the these group of people who find themselves, and then Luke and Leia literally find themselves as being family and don't realise. Um, you've seen it again and again with this group of characters we now have in the sequel trilogy that they are a family um, who who were brought together by events, and it's always that that element of Star Wars to me is about realising that you are on your own. You're never as strong as you are when you're with other people. Um, and whether that's your real family or your found family. Um, and in Dooku, trying to explore that, the fact that he never really allowed himself to have even a found family or wasn't allowed to have it because of this very nature of he would be setting up these people who then would be taken away from him. Um, so I think that is fundamental in his fall. And, and again, if he had had people around him who'd really got to know him um, in a very, you know, in the way that obviously... Um, Rael knows him um, and th- those two characters in Dooku and, and Master and Apprentice know each other um, they would have seen the flaws there from the beginning and the same way that Sifo Deus Sifo Deus was there when those children he knows how arrogant Dooku is but at the right moment can say something that will pop that balloon um, and bring you know bring Dooku back when he's he's going on one of his egotistical flights Um Dooku's one of those people who needed that all the way through. He needed a check. Um, and there were certain points when he was just left on his own. Um, and that's where someone could come sweeping in and say, oh, no, you are special. And this is how you're special. Um, and I think that's exactly what Dooku's story ends up being. Because obviously, with Darsidious comes in and completely takes that role. Um, because all through his life, Dooku has been trying to prove himself to himself and to the people around him. Um, and in Darsidious, you see someone, you know, we didn't see it in the play, but that was what I was trying to allude to the fact that suddenly he has someone saying, no, we can do this and you will be the chosen one. And that's why I think it's so tragic when you see um, Anakin finally kill Dooku, spoilers, um, the, look <laughs> on Dooku's, the look on, look on Dooku's face when he suddenly realizes that he was a pawn um, and you see a, an element of it in Clone Wars when he is told by Sidious to kill Ventress 
and he doesn't want to. Um, and then you see, yeah, that I think it's one of Christopher Lee's best moments. It's just the look on his face when he has twin um, sabers burning at his neck and he realizes what's happened. He looks up at Anakin and he looks to the Chancellor and he thinks, oh, hang on. <laughs> Whoops. Um, and so, yeah, it was all leading to that moment. And the Revenge of the Sith novelization goes into that too and really makes it a very compelling scene because it puts you in Dooku's head and I think goes right yeah. along with what you're saying. But I want to go back to to what you were talking about about like history and lineage and legacy because yep. you know that's a, a major part of Star Wars whether you're looking at Luke or looking at Rey or a character like Dooku yep. but with the overall Jedi order you added a lot of history uh with this the Bogan collection the shifting sands mm-hmm. and um and of course the bandages um with that amazing yes. phrase that I know Lindsay's going to end up getting tattooed on her body at some point soon <laughs> um <laughs> wow Okay. So, so I'm only half kidding. Um, just yeah. I have a lot of Star Wars tattoos. It's a thing. Okay. <laughs> Take us through kind of developing that. Um, I mean, I know both Lindsay and I are, are obsessed with the bandages, but just in general, like that history, uh, what, what, what goes into creating that for such a, a group as the Jedi that we talk about being flawed, but also have reverence for at the same time. Sure. Well, I'm, Personally, a lot of it, I, I'm a, I've got a theology degree, you know, um, so I've studied church history and religious history um, around the world. Um, and I also have a fascination for witchcraft as well. I am not a witch, but I have fascination for it. Um, and the, the bandages come from a, um, the Ashmodian Museum in Oxford recently, well, last year had a um, witchcraft um, exhibition, which was amazing. It was incredible. Um, and I went there with... Um, George Mann, who recently wrote the Myths and Legends book for for Star Wars. Oh, which um, is so good. Yeah, I mean, George and I, you know, we're, we're, we're so it's a grown-up man saying, so, you know, we're best friends. We we write together. We, you know, we we um, we've known each other for a long time. So we went. We have this uh, obsession between us uh, of sort of history and sort of more arcane parts of history as well. So we went to this exhibition, and there in the exhibition were um, bandages with uh, magic words on them, which um, were used by cunning folk and witches at a certain point in in British history. And they would, when you went to them and you asked for healing, they would wrap the spell around your arm. Um, And so I blatantly just stole that entire thing. Um, You know, and and again, coming back to thinking about the old Celtic Christianity and prayers when you have um, prayers where you have sort of God God before me, God about me, God, God surrounding me. And just that idea of the Celtic knots of being sort of surrounded by your religion. Um, and then the flip side of that, um, I'm, I also a bit obsessed about Viking, um, history and Viking religion. And just that idea that there, again, for the Vikings, there was no separation between religion and, and reality. They just, it was just part of their life. It just completely surrounded them. Um, and they used to bind things around themselves. They used to have arm rings. Um, and obviously early tattoos and things like that as well. So it was, that was all, it was a melting pot of ideas. And yeah, absolutely blatantly, the, the, the Balm the Luminous, the, the um, bandages came from that exhibition and, and seeing that and thinking about ancient Jedi texts. Um, and again, thinking about a, a religious order that has been around for so long um, that they don't necessarily even study the texts anymore. Um, and so that what's been lost in that. And so that's where the Balm and the Luminous came from. You know, the, the idea that these early Jedi who 
perhaps didn't have the mastery of the force that they um, they needed, or perhaps actually they were closer to the force than the, than the later Jedi realized, and so realized you needed some kind of physical um, focus for it had this these rituals that have been lost over time and if any of the characters in jedi lost would know about um what's gone before it was lean as well so um the yeah, protection rituals um and protection spells I'm, i've always been fascinated with so that's where that came from um and yeah a lot of the stuff about early early jedi i mean there was a lot more i'd love to get into um but yeah it all comes from that fascination of um for me personally about organized religion uh, developing and and religious feelings and i'm fascinated by the idea that you know we now have superhero movies with thor in them but you know for generations that was a religion it'd be like someone you know in 20 years time someone making the avengers and putting jesus in them you know so it's it's i'm fascinated by the fact that you have those religions where those gods are real and they are um and those religious practices and those rituals are real and they're just part of everyone's life. And then over time, you sort of decide, some people that decide, oh, no, no, they're just myths. They're just myths now. Um, and that idea of, are we actually going through that kind of process now in the 21st century for some of the religious practices that we've, we've just followed for generations? I don't know, but I'm always fascinated about that, how how religion becomes ritual and how ritual becomes superstition and, and all those elements. And again, with the Jedi, we've got a, an organization that goes back thousands and thousands of years that you can really play with. Okay, so that leads to, I have to ask, and of, of course, we know you don't know anything about episode nine um, or any, anything like that. So for you, for Kevin Scott, just the Star Wars fan, what do you think balance means? Balance in the force? Yes. Um, for me personally, it's, um, it's the acknowledgement that light needs dark and dark needs light to mm. exist um and it's not cutting yourself off from one from the other um so that's how i've always always looked at it um and again i i embrace the mortis episodes of clone wars passionately because um i love all that as you know after everything i've just talked about you know for, for me mortis is incredible because it, you are basically looking at the jedi's gods in my mind um and so yeah, I mean, for me, it's the, it's the acknowledgement that, and that's where, the again, the Balm of the Luminous came from, you know, the fact that you have to acknowledge the fact that both exist, because if you don't, you know, you're, you're, you're only knowing half of life, you're only knowing half of existence, so how can you be whole? Um, so day needs night, night needs day, that's what makes a cycle, and so for me, that's what balance is. So... This has been one of my favorite conversations. <laughs> There's ever. so much. Um, oh man! I think um, you know here at Clashing Sabers we try to avoid things like just diving into spoilers and different theories, mm -hmm. and we really want to look at the characters and the storytelling yeah. and the different themes that run through Star Wars. So you've given Brandon and I a lot to think about. I think we're going to uh, um, mull over this conversation for quite some time, but just in the interest of time, I do want to move towards. Closing out the show, and we mm -hmm. have some quick fire questions for you. Okay. Um, okay. So just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Um, okay. Number one, which Star Wars movie did you watch most recently, and why? Uh, most recently, I watched Return of the Jedi um, because my youngest wanted to see it again, um, and I think 
I have a general obsession with Ewoks and um, I had a new piece of art that I brought home from San Diego uh, of some Ewoks. And so um, that prompted us putting on Return of the Jedi because also it's awesome. It is. You're, so you're good. parenting absolutely perfectly. <laughs> it's my favorite movie. Yes. Awesome. All right. Um, either in the Star Wars universe or just in your real life, who's your Star Wars partner in crime or your BFF? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, at the minute, I would say it's the um, within the Star Wars as a as a experience of working in. It's the um, other four authors who are working on Project Luminous with me because we are exploring uh, um star wars in a way that doesn't it hasn't really happened for a while in the um i have to be so careful um, <laughs> just tell us everything in the in in star wars fiction because we are developing something together um in a purely collaborative way so um and for all of the reasons that working in a team is exciting you know we have had blazing rows we have had some very exciting days when everything seems to have fallen um in together but um they they're sort of my closest group of people within in star wars now um outside of that i already mentioned george who wrote myths and, uh, and fables um just in general we bounce ideas off each other left front center so there's a lot we've we've nda'd each other on a lot of stuff that we're working on just because it's it's always good to have that person you can bounce off of um so yeah in in my work in my role as a writer yeah those are the people that are are, are my little found family I can't wait for us to stop recording and you to tell just me and Brandon everything there is about Project <laughs> You'll be waiting a long time. Because I'm sure somewhere on this on this call that, you know, Disney is listening. So, you know, I have to be careful. <laughs> All right. I think I might know the answer to this one, but what would your Star Wars pet be? <laughs> well, it wouldn't be an Ewok because obviously they're not pets because they're sentient life forms. Um, um, oh, my, my pet would be um this i would like a you know i would like a quacky and monkey lizard but i don't think it, you know i think the house would be a wreck beforehand yeah no exactly I, I i'd want to took a cat i mean i think that you know they're adorable so um you know I, I think that's that's what i want all right this one's dangerous which star wars character would you let take over your twitter account <laughs> jackson um <laughs> Just Jackson, because it'll be funny. Um, I, I, most people in Star Wars who know me know I have a general obsession with the big green rabbit. So, um, yeah, I, I think it would be funny to see, have him come in. Because I, I quite often, especially in conversations about Star Wars, I try and sit on my hand when people have arguments. And there are a few in Twitter in Star Wars. I don't know if you've noticed. Really? Um, and oh. I try my hardest to to pull back from that, even though the fan part of me is go, you know, going, I know I must argue. Um, Jackson wouldn't care about any of that, and he would just argue for the sake of it. So, yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> Yeah, Jackson's definitely got my Twitter handle. I like it. All right, and then finally, what is your favorite Star Wars one-liner? Oh, that's a question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> oh, that's, I don't know that's... if anyone's really ever been able to answer this. No, it's really hard. It's really hard. How dare you ask me this question in the morning? <laughs> my brain's already slightly scrambled. Um I mean, the, there's obvious ones like, you know, I love you, I know is always going to be there. But I think it's then, I think if I'm going to say that, it's going to be Leia saying it back to 
Han in Return of the Jedi, because that is one of the best character moments um, in the world where she, where she flips it and says it back to him. So it's a classic, but I'm going to go for it, but I'm going to go for the Return of the Jedi, I know. I like it. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for playing along um, and just giving us so many great insights into Star Wars and characters and just the way we look at how we treat the younger audience um, for Star Wars. So I know you had mentioned Return to Vader's Castle. We talked about mm-hmm. that, but tell us a little bit else about what else you have going on and where our listeners can find you. So it's a busy couple of months for releases for me and Star Wars. So we've got the Anduku script book coming out in October from Delray Books. So if you haven't had a chance to listen it, audiobooks aren't your thing, pick up the script. But it is a script book, literally. It's not a novelization, which I think some people are thinking it is. It's the actual script. Um, then there's Return to Vader's Castle for IDW, as I've been talking about. And then finally... Um, at the at the minute, I think it's the last one we're doing for the time being. But the um, Choose Your Destiny books, which I've been working on for Lucasfilm Press, where it's the sort of you know Choose Your Adventure type um, game books. We've got one coming up um, for the Road to Episode Nine, um, which is a Finn and um, Poe adventure with a lot of BB-8 as well, um, and that's coming out in October. So those are a lot of fun. So um, yeah, that's I think I think that's everything. Oh yeah, and yeah. then Project Luminous. And then Which you're going to be over in uh, my neck of the woods for New York Comic Con, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah, so um, I'm over um, to promote all those things um, at New York Comic Con. So there's going to be panels and signings, and they're going to be announced very, very soon. All right, fantastic. Well, Brandon, you want to uh, take us home? Yeah. So, Kevin, thank you again for coming on. This was. A- I'm genuinely saying this. This is one of those episodes, you know, that I'm going to go back and listen to uh, a few times because I feel like there's so much to dig into and and explore. So thank you for that. And if you want more of the Clashing Sabers Network, uh, you can, of course, hit the subscribe button on the podcatcher you are listening to and you get all four shows on the network and you can go back and listen to old episodes like when we talked to Claudia Gray or Jason Fry or our wonderful uh, music episode we had recently. If you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us Clashing Sabers network at gmail.com dm us at clashing sabers text us 832-966-0077 or and this is my favorite spot come hang out with us on facebook where we have a wonderful uh group called the star the clashing sabers uh star wars community so make sure you uh come over there and until next time ladies and gentlemen keep writing keep listening but whatever you do don't burn the sacred text all right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. Bye.